Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. I think you've explained that story before when you guys were at. Uh, he has, the, and I feel like you're very, you're very devastated in that moment. Festival. That's right. That's right. The Hoosier Hardwood. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Anytime that song comes on, I think of it. It's tough, man. I it, like. I've worked. The only guy that's worked more places than me is the guy joining us on the program. Uh, Tony East has a business card that reads like a CVS receipt. He's with SI Forbes, WTHR, and Locked On Pacers. Right? Did I get all those right, Tony? That's that's perfect. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, first off, man, thanks for joining us. Big test tonight. Uh, you know the Pacers are on a back-to-back, but if I'm not mistaken, is Milwaukee on a back-to-back also? Yeah, they played Detroit and they won by two. It was tight all night, so they didn't get the rest of their guys as much. Yeah, so that, and that's a true back to back because you're going on the road, which is more difficult. But let, let's start with last night. Um, maybe it's hard to tell when you're assessing against the Jazz, but was there anything that jumped out at you last night that you saw as a new sign of good news for Indiana that we had not yet seen before? Yes, Ben Matherin, the whole his whole game, <laughs> um, and. It's, you know, he's had good passing games this season. He's a good rebounding guard in general. But to put it all together with a good scoring night, right, he had 22, that was his season high. And defend the level he did on the ball specifically. Um, it was his best game of the season. Carlisle on the podium said it was the best he's played in two years, right? That's his whole career. And it's just kind of – it was kind of the merging of what Ben Matherin can be and what the Pacers hope he can do for them for the first time, Right where you see him moving the ball well and playing within their offensive style with the team, making plays for others, breaking down a defense, grabbing the ball off the rim and making plays, while still being Ben Matherin and scoring. And some of that was just that he made his threes. He was four of seven from deep, but he still was shoving it down their throats. And so the fact that he had that kind of night, especially when you know his thing last year was getting to the line, he didn't even attempt a free throw. So to have that kind of game and to be that useful for the offense was really important because we hadn't seen that yet this season where – he plays his kind of game and also does the new stuff the Pacers are, are having him work on. Rick Carlisle's been talking about him a lot this week, right, and, and what he can do when he plays like that, and he showed it in that game. It was, it was his best game of the year. Tony East with us, covers the Pacers for Sports Illustrated and hosts the Locked on Pacers podcast. Tony, you and I have talked about this in the past. That version of Benedict Matherin, if you can make that a nightly appearance, that is the type of step forward that you want to see from him in a sophomore campaign. It would be unfair, I think, to expect him to deliver yet again in that same way against Milwaukee tonight. So let's phrase it this way. Where is a fair mark to judge him now that we've seen that, now that we've seen another evolution to his potential in terms of over this next, let's say, four or five games? Where is it a measuring stick to see if he can sustain that? Yeah, the measuring stick statistically to me is passing, right? Just that he keeps that up. You know, I think the, the the play that I'll point to probably for the rest of the season, to be honest, when they played the Cavs in season tournament game, like he had a drive, and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are under the basket waiting for him, and he just threw it perfect skip pass to the corner, right? And it's like that wasn't something Ben Matherin is doing last year. Even if the passes, like it's going to be tough because statistically you can't always track it with assists for him, but like he's pass- you just got to watch and know that he's passing better, making good decisions. Like last night, he would. The Jazz were switching everything in the first half. That's why Miles Turner had such a good half. 
And Matherin was consistently like making the right read and throwing it into the post and like making good entry passes. And that's just stuff that's like he's reading the game way better when he catches the ball. And that's kind of stuff you have to see to know that he's doing and, and showing continued growth in that way. But, you know, I think if you had to look at a stat to show progress, to show that he's still doing all these things that he needs to do to both be himself and be really good for the Pacers, it'd be his assistant in general, his total passes per game, which are both up this year. Tony, I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked a few people over the last week or so. So maybe I'm like obsessing over it. it, it I'm just curious about this. Um, Daniel Tice not necessarily being in the rotation. Is that telling us something about Daniel Tice or is that simply telling us something about the fact that he plays a position of two young players that they are still assessing? Yeah, you know, I, I was wondering before the season, like, how much we'd learn from that decision of the backup five and how important it was to get it right for the Pacers. And what Rick Carlisle has said for every single minute's battle for the team is someone has to earn it, right? And Tice had this awesome summer with Germany where if you, if you count that in the earning it category, maybe he played well enough in the summer to earn a look. But in terms of just with the Pacers and in the preseason and Every, basically every step of the way since this campaign started, Jalen Smith's just been better, right? Jalen Smith has been amazing for the Pacers this season. He was he played more than Miles Turner last night. He was fantastic. And so I don't even know that what it says about Tice necessarily versus where the Pacers are headed, right? They chose young guys at every position battle, right? T.J. McConnell, Andrew Demard's the backup one, right? Daniel Tice, nope, they chose a young guy as their backup five. And, that, and that's fine. You know, Matherin's starting, Buddy Heald is not, right? They, they, they're clearly – still thinking long-term while trying to win within the construct of their team. And so they, they are, that is part of the decision. I think the other part is that Jalen Smith's just been better, right? As good as Tice has shown he can be in certain settings with the Celtics and with Germany, with the Pacers, they started Tice in that preseason game. He didn't make a shot. He had some foul trouble. Jalen Smith was amazing in that game. He's been really fantastic as the backup five ever since. I think it just shows, you know, even if they think Tice might be the smallest hair better, than their other young backup five. Is that gap big enough to play the veteran over the young guy on a developing team? Absolutely not. And Jalen Smith's probably even better than he could be for them so far this season. So I just think it says a lot about, one, how well Jalen Smith has played because Rick Carlisle has stressed that guys have to earn it, and two, the direction the team is headed. And I think it's the right choice. How close are we, if at all, to seeing Jalen Smith taking over Obi Toppin's spot in the starting five? Oh, I don't think that. I mean, they tried the Jalen Smith at the four thing last year, and – it didn't work right, but um, maybe certain matchups, like tonight, funnily enough, tonight um, against Giannis, they need some some bulk to put on him, right? Toppin did well against Wembenyama, but Giannis is all power and not the finesse of Wembenyama, so that's a little tougher. I don't think we'll see Jalen Smith start this season. I mean, they tried him starting him with the four last year. I think it was 27 times in the end. It was basically up till Christmas before they switched to Aaron Neesmith starting more often at the four, and they got Andrew Demhardt in there and just went smaller. And it didn't really work, right? It just it is not as natural for him. He is a very good rebounder. He's better on the rim. And he's shooting better this year, so maybe that would be their reason to try it, is that they can believe in his shot a little more. But if his shot goes away, then you know, you're not maybe you're not as willing to try that as the Pacers. And I don't think they I don't think they will do that. I don't I don't think that's something that is gonna cross their minds. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, 
Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Tony East is our guest talking about the Pacers. Tony, which if Buddy Heald, and I don't know that this is, I think it's starting to trend this way. If Buddy Heald becomes a trade deadline possibility for Indiana to to flip into picks, which would be the bigger the bigger factor in them letting him go? A the fact that it looks like there is still some separation on what he would like in an extension of what the Pacers would like to pay, or B, Aaron Neesmith's continued evolution of becoming perhaps the primary off-bench scorer for them? I think it's the contract. Um, the contract situation. Deadlines is what leads to action a lot in the NBA, and you know, you, I, I suppose if they're playing very well and they're you know, top five in the East, maybe they don't care as much about not getting value long-term for Buddy Heald, and they'd rather ride it out for the rest of the season. But, I mean, you, you know, they, they can't lose guys for nothing in their spot, assuming, you know, maybe they're better than everybody thinks and it doesn't matter as much. But, you know, teams in their position don't typically think like that. Like, even last year, they, they didn't they didn't do a ton of the deadline with the, the Wara trade with the Bucks. But, you know, Rick Carlisle even said, like, yeah, you know, if Miles had not extended, this would have been something totally different when he was talking about the trade deadline, right? Like, expiring contracts are thought of differently when that time of year comes. And that's what Buddy Heald's situation is. He's, he's on an expiring deal. There's no extension currently in place. Um, it can happen during the season, so it's not like a, a done conversation yet, I suppose. But if, if nothing happens, I think they have to consider trading him. It's what smart teams do in their situation. And maybe they're playing so well and they need him and they think, no, we'd rather just continue with what we have. But yeah, they have guys off the bench, like you said, who can fill his spot. I think that's going to matter a little. But to me, it it almost always comes down to the contract situation and what it means for your team long term. And they can't afford to lose anybody for nothing. I don't know what Buddy Heald's value will be on an expiring deal with only three months left, but that's they'll let the market figure that out and make the right move. You like what you've seen out of Bruce Brown thus far? Yeah, I think that the thing that Bruce Brown does so well is just fills whatever role they need, right? Sometimes. See, that... Hold on, Tony. I'm going to cut you off there, right? Um, okay. And that, that makes it sound like I'm picking on you. I'm not. I want to I want to play Freud here. The the yeah answer, there's there's two like ways to interpret that. The first is yeah, which means like emphatically, oh, absolutely, he's made a difference. The other is yeah, which is like, yeah, I can see the flashes of why they brought him in, but it has yet to permanently like stick of like, okay, yes, that's in fact why he's here. Now, am I overthinking that? No, you're not. It, the second one is more accurate for me personally. Like, I get why he's here. He plays every role they need, right? Secondary creator, sometimes he's the primary creator. Some games he's shooting great. His defense clearly on guards is valuable, right? All that stuff that they signed him for has just been super obvious. It's just sometimes they turn to someone else for those roles. And so he's not on the, you know, he doesn't have to do it all the time. Um, but yeah, I think it's been clear, like what he does well and how he helps the team. And 
like has clearly been additive and someone Rick Carlisle really trusts to do a lot of stuff. So I think he, you can see where his positive impact is. It's just like sometimes they think Neesmith or Nemhard's the defensive option instead, or sometimes Nemhard's the secondary guy with the ball or Matherin. So the, it, it's kind of like they just have so much depth that him being the Swiss Army knife isn't always the best choice, but he's never a bad choice, and that's where he's been helpful. It's just been kind of interesting to see how they choose that balance. But I think he's played well for them. I truly do. Sports Illustrated's Tony East is our guest, covers the Pacers for them, and hosts Locked on Pacers podcast. Tony, you've discussed this in the past about in an NBA that has switched to kind of the NBA jam mantra of who is going to be the number two or the Robin to Tyrese Halliburton's Batman. And in those discussions it's been a who's who because it feels like at any given night a second option can come to the table and contribute at a high level is that mentality sustainable with teams or with this team or in other words does it matter if there's not a clear defined two if they're going to be this deep and this effective on a nightly basis offensively yeah your second point was the one that i i have made and will continue to make last night was the perfect example right halberton did not score in the first half right and they were up seven at halftime and he played well still. He was drawing attention and had seven assists. But Matherin stepped up as a scorer, and Turner stepped up as a scorer, and Mises stepped up as a scorer. All three of those guys climbed over 20 points last night, right? And so it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter who the number two is in a given game for the Pacers. They have so much depth that a lot of guys can do it. We've seen Neesmith have some big scoring nights this year. Turner's had some big scoring nights this year. Matherin just had his first big one. Like if someone, Bruce Brown on opening night 24 against the Wizards, right? If someone steps up in his number two, that's all the Pacers need, just someone to do it. And they have, uh, you pick your number, four, five, six guys who could be that guy every night. And so that's where I think their their strength can be is that, especially because as they describe their offense as random, it could just be somewhat different depending on the matchups, depending on how they're playing. And they didn't even need Halliburton to be amazing against Utah. They still won. Now the other thing it can be is it doesn't have to be an offensive success story. It can be someone stepping up on defense and slowing down the other team's best players. That's what happened on Monday. Obi Toppin had his best defensive game for the Pacers by far in their win over the Spurs. And so they didn't need a second guy to have a terrific offensive game. They defended the Spurs pretty well. They gave up 111 and won that game. So there's a lot of ways it can go to me. And, of course, in a perfect world, they'd have a clear, awesome number two guy who can always have that role and be counted on. But in their current state with a lot of young developing talent, having a lot of guys who can be your number two, I think is smart. It makes a lot of sense. Milwaukee, the opponent tonight, they've still struggled to find themselves both offensively and defensively in a world without Drew Holiday, despite the addition of Damian Lillard. The Pacers, as you mentioned, have found themselves a bit the last couple of games defensively, albeit against opponents that you might think on paper they're better than. How will they be tested against Milwaukee tonight? And what is a fair angle to look at this team and say, maybe they are putting it together defensively. What will we need to see tonight against the Bucks? Yeah, flimsy Bucks, right? Six and two, but they don't look like it <laughs> if you watch them. It's very strange. Um, of course, the honest is the Pacers kryptonite has been for years and years. They've beaten them once since 2018 in a game, which is just ridiculous. So that's, of course, a good test to see is – can they? Do they have any answers for him now? The Pacers have a little more size in the front court, but can, do they have to switch up lineups? Can Neesmith actually do it at his height? Right, that'll be a good limit test. But in general, the way the Bucks play this year, kind of something that I think is interesting for the Pacers to go against and kind of be tested by. Right, they get to the line a ton more than any team in the league, but they don't rebound well. They never pass. Right, they're 29th in assists per game. They're they're just numbers from last year are very different with the new head coach and a new lead star. 
So for the Pacers, it's like they they play they're trying to be better one on one defense and defending pick and rolls with two guys. Doing that against a team that likes to run two man actions and isolations with their stars, they're going to have to be on their A game in ways that they've been working on all season. And sometimes that stuff hasn't been there for them. So I think we're going to learn a lot about the Pacers' defensive growth in this game. Right? The Bucks have always been tough for them. Jay Crowder, Chris Milton, those guys can shoot if Chris Milton plays. Like they're a really tough matchup for the Pacers, but it'll also be a good test of their defensive scheme, what they're able to do, because the Bucks have a ton of good ISO scores, and the Pacers have been trying to get better defending one-on-one. So, Tony East, here's the most important question of the day. The Wicked Witch of the East is the one that the house falls on and she dies, and then her sister, the Wicked Witch of the West, is evil throughout the Wizard of Oz, or the Wicked Witch of the West is the one that dies when the house falls on her, and the Wicked Witch of the East is the one that tortures Dorothy. You had it right the first time. The Wicked Witch of the East has the house fall on her. And the Wicked Witch of the West has revenge on her mind, right? Yes. And then that Glinda is the Good Witch of the North, right? Yes. And then do we know who the Good Witch of the South is? I don't know if we have a – that's a good question. Does it seem like an oxymoron to be a good witch? <laughs> yes, it does. Doesn't it? Yes, it does. It seems, that seems like, you know, in all honesty, there should be a, a sandwich shop somewhere that's just called Glinda's because it's the good witch, right? <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I think about at night. This is a, a million-dollar idea, is it not? Were it doesn't seem like you're jiving before? with my idea. What's that? Were you ever Were you ever in marketing before? That was pretty good. <laughs> See, somebody's going to steal my – this is the problem. Somebody's going to steal my idea. I'm going to be driving down Meridian Street next week, and there's going to be a Glenda's <laughs> – sand. it's probably going to be a steak and lemonade joint, and it's going to be called Glenda's. I'm going to be like, why is that? Because we're the good witch. Can they sell, can they sell like, a, like an umwitch, like an unwitch, like a Jimmy John's, and because it's green with the lettuce, they can call it the alphabet, and then yes. there we go. We got it all. See? Again, here's the thing. If it's a good witch, it's an unwitch in general, right? Because it's not actually a witch. <laughs> Correct? The whole thing is, a, is an unwitch. That's the whole point. I did not expect to go down this path. I saw, I saw Wicked. Uh, the yeah, you expected to go down to Yellow Brick Road, which again I'm is all, all you know. I'm all over it. I got the names ready. I got the plot line in my head. I got this. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Uh, tonight, Milwaukee in town. I, I don't know, um, Tony. I mean, are we going to see, you know, quote unquote, load management from the Bucks tonight, or is this going to be a pretty good test for the Pacers? Middleton did not play last night. They've been dealing with injuries with him all season that they've been kind of managing. They don't have an injury report out yet because teams don't do it as early in the day on back-to-back. So I don't really know uh, what they're going to do or what they're going to be thinking. I think this is their first true road back-to-back, like you said earlier this season. So, I mean, I'm hopeful as someone who likes watching good basketball players play that they'll play all their guys. But Ames 34, Brooke Lopez is 36, Middleton's hurt. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. But they can't rest more than two in the same game now with the new rules anyway. So we'll see some of the Bucks' best players tonight for sure. I was going to ask you, with this game being on TNT, does that have any – or not TNT, but NBA TV, does that have any impact on them not being able to rest Damian Lillard? Uh, I think that PPP is still in effect for All-Stars regardless of national TV. Um, but – yeah, I don't know if NBA TV counts. That's a good question. You know, I was just thinking about this. For desserts at Glenda's Witch Shop, <laughs> the Good Witch, the dessert, are you ready for this? Please. The dessert, of course, you can get yourself a, a yogurt and, and fruit thing combined, and that, of course, is called the Twister, right? I mean, it's endless. It's endless, the stuff that we can do here. You have the power as chairman of the board of this Fortune 500 company over here. I don't know why you're not 
acting. Tony, aren't you thrilled that you got brought into this conversation? This is actually what I enjoy thinking about, too. So, yeah. Tony, do you have a title? Do you have a title with the company? Have we hired you yet? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm just here for Jake to bounce ton ideas off of, so whatever that's called. <laughs> you're, the, you're the indirect director of puns. How's that? <laughs> when I see you tonight at the game, because I will be there tonight, Tony, I want you to come up and give me your best pun. David Letterman was there last night. Did you get a chance to talk to David Letterman? I didn't, but I saw Rick Carlisle walk up and chat with him after the game, and I'm dying to know what that conversation was about. Uh, David Letterman went to Working Man's Friend, apparently, for lunch. Had a couple of buddies from Ripple with him and went Very to the nice. Patriot. How awesome is that? That's why Letterman's Very the nice. best, man. That's why he's the best. And a great restaurant choice by Letterman. It is. A, of course, well, he was Letterman was a huge fan of Steak and Shake. Huge fan of Steak and Shake. And uh, I don't know if you know or not, but you know they've had some issues. So he went to Working Man's Friend. Good choice, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard, yeah. You know, you know why you know why steak and shakes had issues, Tony? Just so you know. They didn't use the idea of calling their place Glinda's, which is the good witch, and then people would have gone for their steak burger. I'm is just gonna for a rebrand. Can, can you guys tell I'm a little sleep deprived? <laughs> no. It's like the morning show all over again. Tony, appreciate it. We'll see you there tonight, all right? Of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's Tony, the not so wicked witch of the East. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. It's about a, what, 15-hour drive to Boston? Something like that? Great city, Boston, Massachusetts. And now with the security of AAA, we have peace of mind now on Total. these road trips. No question. I mean, that, we've had a couple of times where we hit a pothole. No worries. AAA there to fix the tire for us, which we absolutely love. 24-7, 365, just like you just heard. Joining us now on... The hotline is we take the road trip to Boston. Greg Bedard is the founder and editorial director for the Boston Sports Journal. It is Colts and Patriots from Frankfurt, Germany, coming up this weekend. And, Greg, before we really start breaking down just kind of this year's version of this game, let's begin with a conversation we were just having here on these airwaves. From the Patriots' standpoint, was the Patriots-Colts rivalry basically extinguished when Peyton Manning moved on? Uh, that's a good question. I would say in most corners of New England, I, I you know, I guess that would be true. Um, you know, it was it was more of a Peyton Tom type of thing. And you know, look, the the Colts were good when and when Andrew Luck was there. And um, well, the flight game here. You know. They came here in a playoff game. You know, uh, there's a certain segment, um, probably in the minority now, of people who still harbor ill will towards the Colts uh, whole operation for deflate gate and things like that. So it, it depends on who you talk to. Right. Fair. And I think that's probably true here, right? I mean, the, the Brady Manning thing, Greg, is funny because as I was saying earlier, 
so many people here wanted to hate Tom Brady because of the rivalry, and then, and probably the same true there of Peyton Manning, and then you find out that the two of them actually are kind of buddies, and it was like, wait a minute, are we the last ones to know this? You know what I mean? And it kind of, all of a sudden, you're like, well, my hero kind of likes that guy, and it changed people's opinions, I think, a little bit. But uh, this game is still of intrigue because of the fact that, you know, to me, it is most intriguing, and I want you to tell me, Greg Bedard, whether or not this is an overblown story or an actual storyline. Bill Belichick's placement right now in terms of his job security in New England is what? Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say, well, <laughs> there's a few ways. As far as the short term, it's it's fine. Okay. Like, you know, I, I see no very little chance, maybe a 1% chance, that say they get blown out and look horrible against the Colts on Sunday, that he's fired. Before the end of the season, I see very little chance of that. That's not the way the Crafts do things. Um, as far as his beyond this season, I would say his grip on the job is tenuous at best. And, and the only way that he can probably save his job um, would for them to be much improved over the last eight games of the season. Is there a world where he would relinquish general manager duties and just be the coach? Would they ever approach him for that? that? Yeah, I don't see that happening. Not here. He might agree to that someplace else, but um, here with what, in his mind, what he's built, um, what he's brought to the crafts, the value that he's brought to the crafts, you know, look, this guy's 71 going on 72. Um, I don't think we know many um, 70-year-olds or 80-year-olds who uh, all of a sudden like to change what they've done for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And so I see very little chance of that happening here. But, I mean, I guess I guess you never know. Greg, when, when you look at the, the drop-off in Patriots, and I, I get it. I mean, in the NFL, the Patriots have set the, the ultimate standard of consistent greatness. And so maybe we are overblowing the, the fact that they're off the radar because it's New England, right? But that said, the drop in competitiveness of the New England Patriots, is it more that schematically teams caught up with them and Belichick has not wavered? Or is it in fact that the roster is just not where in the past it has been in terms of depth of talent? It's the roster, in my opinion, you know, from watching this team over the years. Um, you know, I the, the easy answer would be, well, it's Tom. They didn't have Tom, and, and they've, you know, and it's true to a certain extent that they haven't had the greatest offensive talent um, over the years around Tom, but he made it work because he was one of the best of all time. He, he was that good that he wallpapered sort of all the shortcomings on this team, um, you know, the even, you know, the defense and things like that. But to me, you can draw a direct line to this team falling off just they the talent has just fallen off i mean bill bill used to be like clockwork like i would do, every off season i would do like this this color coded depth chart about like all right contracts are coming up and you know you could see like all right well this guy's going to be a free agent after this year so they got to make sure they get somebody in house and get somebody trained they just Stop doing that. It was right around the time of the Garoppolo trade. Garoppolo goes out. They do nothing to get a backup to, to start training somebody to take over for Tom. They just didn't do that. You know, same thing at tight end. Rob Gronkowski was almost traded to Detroit. 
never got somebody you know at tight end. Julian Edelman was on his last legs. Never got anybody really at slot cornerback. James White got hurt. Nobody at third. Uh, at th- third down back, just you know, go through the list. I mean, there is some of it, you know, schematically that you can look at and be like, you know, Bill's Bill's adherence to his beliefs of defense and special teams can win you games, and as long as you just don't turn the ball over, you make crucial plays on offense. That's good enough. Is that good enough in today's game? I think the answer is no. Where is the line between blame on Bill Belichick, the general manager? and Bill Belichick, the coach. And I understand they kind of operate hand-in-hand, and that's the way he's gladly done it for the better part of a decade. But where is the blame in terms of this season, just this season? Is it his ability as a general manager and the struggles there, or has it been an X's and O's thing largely? General manager. I mean, this is he is holding steadfast to the same beliefs that he had back in Cleveland. I mean, you know, you look at this team, you look at where they were quarterback-wise, Back then, you know, Vinny Testaverde, Todd Philcox, Eric Zire. I mean, this was Bill's uh, vision of an offense back then. It's no different now. I mean, he brings in Cam Newton, who is like the last free agent remaining. You know, he takes Mac Jones, who was sort of the first, the last first round quarterback, you know, remaining. He, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge on offense last year. I mean, you know, it, but to me, it's 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 just. It's talent. It's how he constructs the team. It's the same way that he did it 30 years ago. And I think there is a case to be made that considering the rule changes and and the way the offensive game has changed in today's game, that the way he constructs a team as the general manager is, you know, it, it's it's from a bygone era. Greg Bernard is our guest. He is the founder and editorial director for Boston Sports Journal. He's our guest here on the Thursday Road Trip, brought to you by AAA Hoosier Motor Club, hoosier.aaa.com. Speaking of Hoosier Motor Club and AAA, Ezekiel Elliott is a guy that arrived in Boston with a lot of miles on the tires, but there was thought that he could still have something left there. Greg, he was a big name coming in. He's only 28 years old. Has Elliott played to the level that was expected in terms of what you thought they would use him for, or has he to this point kind of underachieved as to what the expectation was? I think he's been really good. I mean, there have been some issues here and there in, in pass protection or um, you know, not going out for a pass when he's supposed to, you know, just some minor assignment things. But as far as him as a running back and the juice in his legs and things like that, he's exceeded my expectations. I thought he's been really good this year. I thought to the point that I thought somebody might come to the Patriots, you know, who's looking for a little bit more depth at the running back position, you know, down the stretch might come to the Patriots and say, hey, will you, you know, flip him to us for a, for a late round pick? I think he's been really good. He's been great in the locker room. He's been a leader of sorts. He's been. I, I didn't know much of him. I just knew, you know, knew sort of the, you know, what you see, what you saw in Dallas, and I think the the version that the Patriots got is has exceeded my expectations and theirs. When you look at injuries, the defense I would say has been serviceable at times, but they've had their struggles as well, allowing just five yards per play though, which is sixth lowest in the league. Bill Belichick's always known for taking what his opponent does best out of the equation. Is this Patriots defense capable of slowing down and limiting Jonathan Taylor? Uh, yes, they have been good against the run. That's one area where they've sort of been improved this year. Um, you know, they don't have 
sort of household names on the interior. Devon Gotchow is a good player. You know, Lawrence Guy. I think rookie Keon White has sort of taken over for Matthew Judon, uh, who's injured as sort of the, uh, you know, one of the mainstays on the edge. He's done a really nice job um, transitioning to being in a two-point stance. Juwan Bentley's not the greatest middle linebacker in the world, but he's he's pretty darn good. So I think that they'll do a pretty good job against the Colts run. I will say, you know, Shane Steichen, I have a great deal of respect for how he, how he schemes up his running game. I think that will cause the Patriots some problems, but I do think they're, they're in a better place now than maybe a couple of years ago when they faced the Colts and Taylor kind of ripped through them. I think they're in a better place now. Where would you say New England is most vulnerable i mean if there's one area that you would assume the colts are coming out of the locker room saying this is what we have to exploit it's what the safeties um they they haven't really again this goes to sort of the discussion that we're having before you know devin mccourty retires and they don't really bring in anybody to play free safety um it's kind of a crucial uh spot especially in this defense sort of the last line of defense um, Devin, even if he, he was up there in years, uh, was still pretty damn good in there. They basically have a bunch of strong safeties, you know, including uh, Jabril Peppers, um, Kyle Duggar. These guys are really sort of box safeties, and they're being asked to play in space, and they're they're having a tough time. And the Patriots, the last two weeks have, uh, I think they're they're in the bottom third of the league in terms of explosive plays allowed. You know, there's some effort with them at two and seven is creeping in. Their tackling has been shoddy, but if I'm the Colts, I'm being aggressive through the air and I'm going after their safeties. When you look at the Patriots from an offensive standpoint, do they have the capability, even if it's just for one game? Because you look at the receiving yards and as a combined unit, they're behind three or four different wide receivers. Of course, Tyreek Hill, one of those. Are they capable of exploiting what has been a depleted and disappointing Colts secondary? Not really. I mean, I, you know, I, I wish I could be more optimistic about it. Um, but, you know, this this offense in general, uh, they've had a lot of flux on the offensive line. They seem to have settled on a group that's been better the past couple of weeks. But Mac Jones is just so – there's so much PTSD built up in him at this point from what happened last year with Patricia and Judge as the uh, running the offense to the offensive line was just horrible – uh, through about week six where he was getting you know pressured 40 50 percent of the time and getting hit a lot and he's just gun shy at this point he doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in much he's he's not making the plays he should make down the field his decision making has been poor which has been a real disappointment and you know the only way that the Patriots get going and they you know get on a roll offensively is the running game has to has to set the tone and that just hasn't happened at all this year they might have been better in pass protection the past couple weeks but the run blocking still hasn't been good enough and they're not getting enough chunk plays Greg since we have you here can I squeeze in a Celtics question (laughs) sure um I think the world of Drew Holiday you know that that both of his brothers played here. He has not, but he's married to a girl from Indianapolis. But he's a wonderful talent, especially defensively. How has the acclimation, if you will, or the mold in gone so far in terms of the way he's what he's done for Boston? I think it's gone tremendous. I mean, they've slipped up a couple times in the last week or so, including last night, you know, against the Sixers. But, I, you know, I think it's one of those things that it's a different mix, and these guys just have to learn each other. I mean, you know, just – 
me personally as you know a Celtics fan watching this I'm so happy that I get to watch Drew Holiday instead of Marcus Smart flopping all over the place and you know Holiday's just a you know he's as good as a defensive player he brings more on the offense he's a true pro I mean he's a he's a joy to watch and and you know they'll figure things out uh, eventually a little bit better but he certainly makes them a much better team and and a better uh, more of a, a favorite to you know take home an NBA title this year we certainly hope that people listening to this will eventually you know if they're not already join AAA Hoosier Motor Club but Al Horford is about to join ARP and, and he's still with the Celtics if I'm not mistaken but that's a guy and you tell me if I'm wrong here Greg um Horford is a guy that that I I feel like Brad Stevens has a tremendous respect for for the professionalism that he brings and that guys like that are invaluable and we overrate what they're doing on the floor because of just the stability they can bring off of it. Am I overselling him? No, no, he's he's definitely one of those glue guys. I think they really missed him, uh, you know, when he wasn't here for uh, a year or so. And and you know, while he's certainly up there in years, and and his shooting has gone down probably um, quickly than the Celtics anticipated. Uh, he just he's one of those guys that, especially when you're dealing with you know young stars like you know Jason Taylor, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, they need that you know mentor that guy who's been through the battles to sort of you know keep them in check and I think he does he it's invaluable what he provides with that is the pulse around Boston I know it might be short-sighted because of how early it is in the season but is the pulse that Marcus Smart was holding them back in terms uh, of like like being a defensive liability to. I know he was a folk hero to some but yeah yeah I mean you know I just think I think you know Marcus Smart and Grant Williams both going out who are both you know mouthy and thought they were more of a part than they really were them going out and getting in you know true pros to come in here and Porzingis being added uh, I think generally it's viewed as a positive and they feel and they feel much better about the team and that's the way it looks on the court as well okay here's my last question for you Greg Bedard of the Boston Sports Journal Boston's a great sports city and they've had unbelievable success across the board in the last you know 15-20 years but in terms of the fanaticism the hierarchy of Boston sports, traditionally speaking, between Red Sox, Celtics, Patriots, Bruins, put them in order for me, one through four. Well, I mean, it used to be the Red Sox, but, you know, I'll just, you know, go off my numbers off my site. It's clearly the Patriots, you know, and I don't think that's going to change even though they're down. If they have, you know, sweeping change, that'll only reinvigorate the interest in the Patriots. And the NFL is at a point now where, um, you know, even if you're bad, you're still it's um, unbelievable, isn't it? the top of the news. I mean, that's just the way it is now. It's different from when we were growing up, um, you know, in, in the 80s and 90s where that wasn't the case. It's just it's just different now. And so it it's clearly the Patriots. Um, and then it's basically – I would say the Celtics and Red Sox are sort of close behind that, and then uh, the Bruins are a little bit behind, but um, you know it definitely gets fanatic around here during the playoffs. All I know is I watched the entire uh, show of A Million Little Things, and it was centered around the Boston Bruins, and it was a pretty good show. So There you go. <laughs> that's my level of Bruins experience and knowledge right there. Hey, Greg, really good stuff, man. We appreciate it, and – um, appreciate having you on, and who knows, Pacers, Celtics in the playoffs, we're going to bring you back. How's that? Sounds good. I right, appreciate forward it. to it. Thanks, guys. Greg Bedard, again, the founder, the editorial director for the Boston Sports Journal, and a guy, by the way, um, I didn't mention this, but 
I should have given him kudos on this. Uh, lost a bunch of weight in the last couple of years just by working out and everything else. He posted a picture on Twitter um, a couple of years ago. I think it was like two years ago. Lost like 100 pounds. Good for him. Not easy to do, especially when you reach a certain age. Um, but good dude and good information there. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Matt Taylor joins us, the voice of the Colts. Colts and Patriots getting set in Frankfurt, Germany on Sunday. Matt, this is kind of a unique week because not only the obvious of going overseas, but the Colts on Wednesday going through a walkthrough as opposed to a full practice kind of makes it a little more difficult to know where guys are from a health standpoint. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's fair, you know, considering, you know, guys are getting, the, they're going to be kind of stagnant for, for nine hours later on tonight with the flight overseas to Germany and um, with uh, the walkthrough yesterday and then coming off uh, a game where guys got banged up pretty good. You know, um, Tony Brown left the game with a concussion. Uh, Drew Ogletree left with a knee. Same thing for, for Josh Downs. Zaire Franklin didn't play, kind of had a setback towards the end of the week, uh, last week come to find out. So, yeah, it's kind of, kind of murky right now to, to have a, a full you know definition if you will of, of where guys are at going into this game um, and considering too you know you've you got nine hours tonight you're going to have nine hours on the plane coming home on Sunday back to the states and you got a week off next week I, I think that has to factor in how the Colts approach uh, their usage to some of these guys that are chronically banged up right now this time of year Man, I'll tell you what I, if I was a player certainly if I'm in the organization I would want to win the game above and beyond all of the reasons you want to win a game just because I wouldn't want to go through a nine-hour flight home off a loss. Well, we did it in London, and it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It sucked. That that trip was kind of discombobulated, uh, to be honest with you, um, and, and that's that's really not throwing shade, if you will, or being critical of, of anybody or anything just because prior to you know that trip, you know, no one had really done London before. Yeah, I was going to say, there's really no correct blueprint, right? Yeah, I, I still don't think there's – it's just whatever you prefer. It's it's whatever you feel is best for your team. I mean, you kind of have to just go off of, of feel and gut and, um, you know, based on you know basing on nutrition, basing on travel and logistics. And there's a lot of things that go into it. But, yeah, I, I know the players weren't really happy with um, the, the field conditions in London. Obviously, they lost the game to the Jaguars. Uh, and then the Colts didn't have a bye week that following week in 2016. It was kind of an early game, early October, um, you know, week five, week six, somewhere in there. And 
they lost, and then we, you know everybody had to come back home and get reacclimated to the time zone and the Eastern time zone, and then the Colts had to play the Bears, I think, the, the following week at home at Lucas Oil Stadium. So as soon as you landed, it's not like you could kind of like take a deep breath and uh, fall back on the fact that you got the bye week and a couple days to decompress. Like everybody had to go right back into you know full uh, game prep mode um, and then get back into that United States routine, and it was just hard. So I think. You know, I think some of the people in the organization kind of learned some lessons and and took some notes and kind of recalibrated their um, not expectations, but just a different approach to this trip. And we've had meeting upon meeting about this trip internally, and everybody's got their ducks in a row. I mean, P's and Q's are, are really really solid this time. I think Matt, how much stock should be put into? yesterday's walkthrough report and specifically I know we'll get more clarity today with Thursday's practice report but Braden Smith being listed as a full participant had they practiced yesterday well, I don't think you can take in anything other than a positive sign. Um, you know, again, that's that's an estimation of if if the Colts would have practiced, he would have played and he would have been a full participant, and that's great because he's missed the last four games and uh, Blake Freeland, <coughs> excuse me, played a lot. He's played at left side. He's played on the right side, and you know he's had his rookies uh, rookie ups and downs. But Braden Smith, he has started every single game that he's played in, and every time he's been available. He's been able to start, and so if he's fully healthy, uh, I mean, he's the type of player here in year number six that you just throw him out there. Um, you know, you, you don't, you're not irresponsible with it, but if he can play, you know, he can play. You know, if, if you get what I'm saying. So um, that's a that's a really good sign. I think we'll find out here in about uh, an hour and a half, two hours, on just how excited we should be if he's a full participant again today on a day where the Colts actually practice. That's a really good sign for the right tackle. Matt Taylor is the voice of the Colts. He joins us on the program Matt in years past or in games past when Shaq Leonard was not able to be 100% Zaire Franklin I think that's kind of when he emerged where we realized this guy's just a glue to the football he's just a he's just a good player right with Zaire Franklin out and Shaquille Leonard not necessarily at this point maybe 100% are also not totally happy with the amount of reps that he is getting the the slack is picked up without Zaire Franklin if he's not able to go where? Well, last week um, they plugged and played with uh, Sagoon Alubi. Um, really interesting story. You know, guy kind of bounced around a little bit in college, uh, transferred a couple of places, ended up at, at San Diego State. Uh, last year, undrafted free agent, um, got picked up by the Colts, spent a majority of the, uh, of his season last year on the Colts practice squad, got elevated, I think, week 17 or week 18. I know it was really late in the season, and it was only one game. Um, played primarily, you know, that game on special teams. And, you know, you've talked to him in the off season. He made a vow to himself that, hey, this year I'm not – no disrespect to practice squad players, but I'm better than a practice squad guy. I'm going to make the active roster this year. And that's exactly what he did. And he's been here the entire time. And, you know, last last week uh, made his first career start, had his first career interception, played 100% of the snaps um, at the Mike linebacker position. Um, so a really good story and a really good guy. And that's where the slack was picked up last week. And the Colts continued to – and some say, well, why not just play Shaq Leonard at that spot? Well, it's a different position, right? The Mike linebacker spot is different than, than where Shaq has, has uh, historically played. He's the will linebacker, kind of that off-the-ball, you know, kind of a roamer, you know, for layman terms, um, you know, kind of that weak side guy that can kind of clean up some messes and be free to um, 
you know go after those interceptions on third down but that that's really where you know, the the key comes in for Shaq Leonard is he's not he's not seeing a lot of third downs. You know, prior prior to last week, and I don't know what the numbers are, you know, following that Carolina game, but going into Carolina, Shaq had only played about nineteen third downs all season long. Now a couple of things are going into that, or at least, you know, publicly they said we're gonna limit uh Shaq's participation, um, on purpose to ramp him up, especially at the beginning of the season, considering all the time he missed and the surgeries and things like that, which is understandable. But they said, you know, all along that we want to get him no- to uh, November. Get him to November, get him reacclimated, get his conditioning up, let's see how he holds up, let's see how those injuries um you know, how how they kinda hold up a little bit this time of the season and we're here and I know that he's frustrated that it is the month of November and he's not seeing more playing time. He's not seeing more opportunities to make plays on third down. So that's where where he's at right now, kind of frustrated. But um, I think if, if Zaire Franklin can't play on Sunday, it'll still be a Luby and then kind of a mixture between EJ Speed and Shaq Leonard at the will linebacker spot, um, kind of platooning some of that playing time in New England if it comes to that. I understand, Matt. And I respect Shaquille Leonard's frustration, maybe at the amount of reps that he's getting. Um, my understanding is he spoke out about that. Spoke out is probably the wrong word. He he commented on that again today. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that can become a distraction or an issue? Well, I don't think so because it's it's sort of you know, for lack of a better term, it's 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 ongoing. I mean, some of the same themes and some of the same comments that Shaq had today, you know, he had those two weeks ago, he had those last week. And you're right, he's not he's not, you know He's not grandstanding like, about it. He's not. And and it's it's and I think it's just natural. It's it's human nature that he's like he's he's pissed. He wants to play. Like who wouldn't want to play? Especially when, you know, he he's you know, the takeaway machine that he was up until two thousand twenty one when all these injuries kinda you know, derailed his career to a to a degree, and then he, he, next time he came back healthy, he had a, a, a different defensive coordinator, you know, a different coaching staff around him, and so it's just again, I, I use that word, you know, reacclimation. That that's what it's been really for Shaq in the last, my gosh, I don't know, fifteen, sixteen months since his first procedure um, on this on this calf and on on the back. So. Um, it's it's sort of trying to play itself out, but but right now the Colts are, are trying to figure out and balance. Okay, when do we put Shaq Leonard on the field? How can we best utilize his ability to take the football away while also being solid within defending the run, defending the pass, and also I mean we got EJ Speed too. So it's like if if you put Shaq Leonard out there and he's not fully acclimated to the degree that you want him to be in your eyes in the estimation of the coaching staff you don't want to sacrifice what you have in EJ speed too the the versatility and the playmaking ability that he has too so it's it's really delicate situation right now for Shaq Leonard and I feel for him as a person I feel for him as a competitor as a player because he wants to play he wants to fight his tail off but the coaches are are trying to do what's best for the team and right now they feel like it's it's Shaq Leonard in spots EJ speed in spots and and you know managing the Mike linebacker spot between Zaire Franklin and Saguna Luby but you know he just wants to play play out there and 
you know, I think his 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 argument right now is the chicken and the egg. It's like they want more splash plays, they want more flash out of me. You know, those takeaways, those fumble recoveries, and force fumbles, and the picks, and they want more you know of those plays out of me. But they come on third down, and you're not playing me on third down, right? So it's like, how am I supposed to do this? It's like you're trying to get a job. You know, you need experience. Well, how do I get experience without getting a job first, right? So it's that's where Shaq Leonard's at right now, and um, he's he's really kind of frustrated. And and again, you feel for him as a person as a player considering all he's been through voice the Colts Matt Taylor is our guest brought to you by Shelby Materials the concrete and aggregate experts Matt you mentioned logistically planning out this trip I imagine for a lot of Colts it might be their first time going outside of the country how big a deal is routine in the lead up to this journey well it really isn't this week you know it's I can only speak for myself. It's just been kind of a like I, I talked about all those meetings and it's just been logistics and filling out spreadsheets and submitting this report and you know identifying pieces of equipment that you have to take and uh, you know filling out a, a manifest sheet. It's it's really been everything um, un, unroutine, if you will, this week. And the players, I mean, they they don't normally during uh, the course of a regular season game week they don't fly nine hours uh, on a Thursday before a Sunday game. So it's it's really kind of chopped up, but again, the Colts have been negotiating this uh, really for the last couple of weeks, getting guys prepared, um, going through meetings, telling them what to be prepared for, how to, um, you know, what they need to do in terms of their bodies and the rest on the plane, knowing that there's a major shift in time difference once they land and it's time to be up and it's time to, to get going. Once the Colts land, they're going to go through like a, a stretching routine, kind of a calisthenics and um, cardio routine, uh, just to get the blood flowing after being on the airplane and going through customs and all that stuff. So um, I, I do know once they land that they should be in good shape, but it's all about just kind of getting all of the travel out of your system and out of your body. Body, those first couple of hours in Germany once you get off the airplane. Matt, give me a country that – Germany might be the answer. Give me a country that you just have this perception is like – like would has people that just sit around like at universities and study all the time, like are really smart people. I don't mean that stereotypically, but like just – you know what I mean? Like like if a study comes out of a country, you're like, man, this, this is – these people know what – we'll say <laughs> Germany, right? Germany seems like pretty dialed in people, right? Yeah, they're they're pretty they're, they're pretty intelligent yeah. over there. I would so, imagine. So let's maybe say like, a, uh, maybe like France or Spain. Yeah. Okay. So any of those countries, very intellectual people, sophisticated, cultured people, right? <laughs> so one of their think tanks, they got a think tank where these people just sit around and, and discuss stuff. And this think tank has come up with a study where they have exhaustively found conclusively the answer of which was first, in fact, the chicken or the egg. If you had to pick which one was actually the correct answer before it was revealed, and you get a million bucks if you're right, do you think? they'd say the chicken or the egg well i think when 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 god created heaven and earth he created a chicken first yep i'm with you i I think that's right right i think it has to be right right i mean adam and eve got there somehow so the chicken had to get there somehow first too and that's just probably (laughs) probably the big man upstairs saying kind of like snapping his fingers and saying boom there's a chicken now lay an egg yeah i see i i totally agree with you Now, then the other thing comes, but you now you so actually it wasn't just one chicken; it it had to be two, right? Well, that's true too, <laughs> right? I mean, there had to be two chickens. 
And then you get the whole conversation about is it a rooster or a hen that's first? I mean, it gets ugly at that point. But but I'm with you, the, the chicken. I, I'm glad that you agree with me on that. Um, hey, where do things stand on Josh Downs? Because, I look, I, I love the way this guy has emerged and developed himself and already, I think, has become a real kind of safety net for Gardner Minshew. But, you know, we know about the health issue right now just in terms of that knee. Where do you think things stand or are trending for the game with New England? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of 50-50 right now. And then if you're asking me, I've got no insider information whatsoever. But if you're if you're asking me if it's if it's uh, a little bit less than 50 or more than 50 with it being kind of up in the air, I would say it's it's less than 50 at this moment. Again, that's just gut because you know didn't practice at all last week. Kind of was a game time decision. Worked it out uh, in warm ups in Carolina, and it really didn't take him long to exit the game early. You know, it was in the first half um, against the Panthers. So. Um, again, I, I just I think with with him not practicing yesterday and then the nine hour fly, I think it's going to be tough. I, I think he's truly kind of banged up, um, and the Colts might might be smart with him and might treat him kind of in the long term, the long view in this case, knowing they've got the bye and trying to get him right for for the home stretch once they come back to Lucas Oil Stadium after a week off. That's that's kind of where I'm leaning, but. Again, I've got no insider information. We'll find out when the injury report comes out in a few hours. But you're right. I mean, he's built up a lot of synergy with Gardner Minshew. You know, I think the numbers kind of bear it out that Downs is his favorite target so far this year. The guy that he kind of goes to in crucial situations, you know, third down, red zone, game on the line, got to have it type catches. That's where Minshew has typically gone and if he can't play if Drew Ogletree can't play you know you just have to wonder that hopefully the the offense is a, is a little bit more less stagnant than it was in the second half against Carolina now the game the dynamic with Kenny Moore's pick sixes it kind of changed the the approach and the philosophy of the Colts on offense last week um, so that that's that'll definitely change some things but you know not having Josh Downs last week wasn't a huge deal because the Colts were really never in danger of losing that game or the Carolina Panthers getting back into the game on the scoreboard. Uh, we'll, we'll see how the Colts kind of compensate for that loss if, again, uh, if it comes to fruition that Downs can't play on Sunday against the Patriots. But I think the thing for me, Matt, that has also become so important about Josh Downs' development, comfort level is probably a better word this year, <clears throat> is that – Next year, Anthony Richardson, theoretically, in his development, is going to need as many of those comfort-level security blanket receivers on the field as the game gets faster for him as possible. And having Downs already acclimated of making those catches across the middle or just being a guy that is able to get himself space to relieve a quarterback, I think is invaluable. And I think that was a really critically important thing for them to see out of downs this year. And oh, yeah. and they're yeah. getting it so far. Oh, yeah. And, and, and downs is in, in short order. I mean, at the beginning of the season, you know, preseason, first quarter of the year, it was like, man, this guy's one of the best slot receivers in the game. And then the Colts figured out. It's like he's one of our best playmakers. And we just got to give him the ball. So they've taken him out of, you know, the idea of he's just a slot. They're they're moving him all around the formation. He's going in motion a bunch. They're kind of hiding him in stacks and bunches to make sure he gets off the line of scrimmage cleanly. Um, they're splitting him out wide. He's yeah. He's he, I think he's much further along than. A lot of people think that a rookie uh, wide receiver would be at this point, and that goes back to his background. His dad played in the NFL, his coach, you know, Dre Blyze is, 
his uncle. So he's got a lot of you know wisdom and kind of tricks of the trade that have been passed down to him. So he's very intelligent, high IQ football player, knows those kind of creases and windows to, to make himself available. Um, and again, Gardner Minshew, I think before his injury, he was averaging almost like eight targets per game when Minshew was his quarterback. So um, that just gives you an idea of, of how comfortable the Colts were with him in a bigger role. He was on pace prior to last week. I mean, he's probably not going to make it now because you know he's, he didn't play last week, essentially, in danger of not playing on Sunday. But he was on pace prior to getting banged up for 1,000 yards. I mean, a, a rookie wide receiver around here getting 1,000 yards only happened once, and that was Bill Brooks. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely on um, the short list for Anthony Richardson next year once he comes back to be one of his favorite targets within this offense. Voice the Colts' Matt Taylor joins us, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, if the Patriots decide to try to take away Jonathan Taylor, where do you think the offense evolves or counters that? Is it utilizing him? And Zach Moss more in a screen-like game? Yep. Or is it expecting yep. the wide receivers, whether Josh Downs a part of that or not, to step up against the Patriots? Yeah, you, you kind of read my mind there, Jimmy. It's it's get the ball into the hands of Jonathan Taylor in this game any way possible. And it doesn't have to be banging your head against the wall on an inside zone or an outside zone to Jonathan Taylor in the, in the traditional running game because they are very good. New England's strength – you know, I know they're two and seven, and they're kind of crummy right now. But their their strength is stopping the run. They give up, you know, three point four yards per carry, which is number two in the NFL. Uh, they've held six of nine teams this year to under four yards per carry. Um, so they don't give up a lot of yards. They don't give up, you know, big explosive games to rushers individually. I think they've only allowed one. 100-yard rusher on the season. So, you know, Taylor needs to touch the ball. I I think Taylor needs to touch the ball still 20-plus times in this game. And it doesn't matter if it's if it's, you know, 12 rushes and eight catches, just get him the ball in space like you saw on that 10-yard screen pass for a touchdown against the Panthers last week. Just get him the ball where he can make something happen and just kind of chip away at this defense, kind of ground, grind him down. You know, Taylor doesn't need 70 rushing yards in the first half to be effective, but he needs enough carries to get himself established where the Colts are – staying on schedule down and distance wise you know three four yards a carry that way third down is not third and seven it's third and three or less and you can still run the ball at that point with jonathan taylor with shane life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider kesimpta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different ask your healthcare provider about kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Steichen as the head coach and the offensive mind that he is, Matt, with Jonathan Taylor now getting more involved, does it seem to you that the Colts have adjusted the playbook to Jonathan Taylor or are awaiting Jonathan Taylor to adjust to the playbook? 
No, I think I think the Colts are waiting on Jonathan Taylor to have an enormous game, and he's he's been close. He, you know, a couple of these runs, you know, you can tell. Like, you know, maybe two years ago, he slips out of his shoestring tackle. You know, kind of a la the uh, the New England run in 2021, right when he ripped it 65 yards and made just an incredible juke move at the line of scrimmage, and and then taking the distance with his speed. I think those runs are coming. I think he's really close to that. So I don't think Jonathan Taylor has had to adjust too much to this scheme. I think, you know, during his saga in the offseason and during training camp, I think he was still kind of mentally, you know, I think he had his nose in the playbook. So I don't think that's a problem for him. And I don't think the Colts have had a hard time adjusting their playbook to his strengths. I just think those big games are coming for him. And I think you're seeing, I think organically, you know, he's, he's ramped up each and every game that he's uh, been active coming off of PUP. Last week, he had a career high, or a season high, I should say, 75% of the snaps, um, had 18 carries. I just think he's really close to a monster game. And, um, you know, or it, it's happened organically where he's, I think, evolved over time into retaking or re- reclaiming the, the top spot within the running game. Even though Zach Moss has been great, Jonathan Taylor belongs in a different bucket. We all know that. And he has organically kind of climbed up back into that position. By the way, have you been going over to um, – you're a south side guy. I think it's down on the south side. I hope I'm saying the name correctly. Is it Klaus or Klaus, the German sausage and meat like butcher shop down – I think it's kind of near Roncalli. Yes, yeah, I think I think it is Kloss, if I'm not mistaken. Jimmy, you're raising your hand. I have I, I have stories there. So prior to Klaus <laughs> owning it, uh, it was Clem's Butcher Shop. My dad would go there every Saturday, and that's where he would get lunch meat for either breakfast or for the week. Uh, love that place. Okay, so so you're familiar with it too. So Jimmy knows of it. You know of it, Matt. Have you had to go over there or like Leader House up in Broderpool? Have you been having to go to these places to prepare yourself for Germany? I, I have not. No, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, throwing myself right into it because I, I don't do well on planes. I don't like to sit still for long periods of time. I get antsy and I don't know if the right word's claustrophobic, but I just sort of just I, I need to get up and. The thought of sitting in a plane for nine hours, regardless of, of of having work to do and and having you know the the in screen of the the in flight entertainment as an option, that's great. But you know what I'm saying? You just need to get up and walk around totally. and take out the trash or fold laundry or something. If you're if you're at home, just do something. Um, so I'm if you're taking out in. the trash on the plane, don't take it very far. Okay. <laughs> so I'm kind of going in unprepared because I I don't sleep on planes and I haven't made a priority yet. And hopefully before we take off here in a few hours, I'll run to CVS and get some some drugs or something that can just knock me out. But that that's that's what I need to have happen. Uh, I need to I need to basically close my eyes, snap my fingers, and be in Germany to be in a good mental space. Okay, so you can participate, Matt, to conclude the conversation here. I've posed the following trivia question to Eddie and Jimmy. They will come up with their guests here in a minute, Um, but I will allow you the opportunity to answer this question. You mentioned the in-flight entertainment. I just came back on a flight that was just under eight hours. So I watched two movies that were provided as the in-flight entertainment. One is a comedy, one is a drama. One is from the 80s, one is from the 90s. The comedy featured two actors, one of which became an A-list star, the other of which kind of petered out in that moment. And the dra- the other one, sorry, I, the drama, 
The drama featured an actress that was a white-hot A-lister at the time and was never really back to that level ever again. Would you like to guess the two movie titles? <laughs> oh, man, that's a lot to take in there. Um, Welcome to 80s and 90s, one comedy, one drama. All right, what, what, what decade was the comedy? <laughs> okay, I, I, I told these guys I wasn't giving any more hints, but I will tell you because, Matt, you and I are, are kindred <laughs> spirits. Uh, the, the, we own a company together. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, we do. Uh, comedy is the, the 80s is the comedy. Well, I might have been right, Jimmy. I'll say, uh, I'll say meatballs or something. I don't know. Okay, not bad, not bad. Uh, you got Germany on the mind. That's good. Okay, and then nineties. Uh, that's the drama, right? Uh-huh. Uh prim- Primal Fear with Richard Gere. That's a great movie, by the way. <laughs> Ed Norton is Ed, Ed Norton is like our Derek Carr, Matt. He's very underrated and underappreciated. Yeah, he is. Yeah. You had no idea where that was going, did you? <laughs> I'm a fan <laughs> of that movie. All right, Matt. Enjoy it. Um, my understanding is also in Germany, They, I thought they always said Guten Tag. Apparently, I looked it up, and hello in Germany is hello. So just hello. It's hello. Yeah, I took, I took four years of German in high school. Did you actually. really? Yeah. How, how do you say uh, thanks for having me in German? Uh, danke for, danke for die Spates. Uh, Spates, I believe, is time, if I'm not mistaken. Really? D- yeah. Danke, what was that again? Danke is thank you. And then what was it, Dur- Dury Spates? Uh, I think, I think Spates is time. Uh, for, for, for D is, for is for four, and D is the, sort of like the, um, wow. not non-denominational, uh, word for the D- donkey for the spates right yeah donkey for the spates okay what okay fair enough <laughs> that was completely useless that actually sounds like a guy that was like a, a starting center at colgate in the mid 90s in the ncaa <laughs> tournament thanks to that same <laughs> curriculum of ron Kelly german that matt went through but like i said mine is just one year i can say i play basketball in my free time oh, that's how do you say that ich spiele basketball in yeah, mine of fright spiele, yeah spiel spiel do basketball that's do you play basketball yep. jimmy yep yeah, you guys. Stamped. So good. Yeah, yeah for sicker. Yeah, for sicker. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, here we go. All right. Well, Matt, you enjoy. Have fun with those drugs on the plane. Will do, boys. Yeah, hopefully I can pass out and talk to you in German here. <laughs> That'll be your second most drugged experience of the afternoon. All right, All right Matt. Boys. Appreciate it. See you guys. All right.